smartcast you're listening to a hindustan times production brought to you by hd smartcast welcome to season 2 of our podcast kicks for free in which we discuss all things football i am dhiman and with me is my co-host vivek messi Welcome to the first episode of Kicks for Free. Today we'll talk about the 22nd edition of the FIFA World Cup that starts on Sunday. Host Qatar will play the first match of the World Cup against Ecuador. Yeah, Vivek, you know what? Every World Cup is different. Uh, the conditions are unique uh, but this edition is a real one of its kind it's the first one in the northern hemisphere winter it's the first in the arab world it's the first in a city as opposed to being spread across a country uh, and the first for which uh, a club season has been paused i know okay this is also the first one where the hosts have never played a finals before now after having listed so many firsts if i'm missing anything vivek please feel free to add Diman I think it's also the last of the 32 team format right Yes I, yes yes yeah not the first but the last of one yeah so yeah. it's the first of many last of one yes Yeah that and the hosts are playing a finals for the first time which I guess gives India a bit of hope doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> Like the under 17 men's and women's world cup India too can play the finals as hosts Okay I'm just kidding I'm just kidding we must not forget that Qatar after all are the Asian champions having comfortably won the 2019 continental competition I think beating Japan 3-1 Yeah they kind of swatted aside uh, all opposition uh, on way to mm. winning the Asian championship and beating Japan 3-1 in the final is some statement of intent and not just that you know since you mentioned India the 2026 edition is taken uh and by the looks of it 2030 will either be held in south america to mark 100 years of the competition that began in uruguay mm. or europe and and i'm hoping by 2034 or earlier india will be good enough to make the cut on merit uh because we'll be talking 48 teams who knows maybe 64 teams i don't know so yeah right i think we should leave india for later and <laughs> let's just focus on the one at hand uh but before that diman uh given the build up what do you make of sepp platter's comment that it was a mistake to hand the world cup to qatar yeah well i think if you ask me i think it's come 12 years too late hasn't it i mean the <laughs> the the world and its uncle has been talking about the, why the world cup shouldn't go to qatar etc etc and uh, they've yeah. been talking about it since 2010 when he was very much in charge uh, and you cannot deny the fact that it was on his watch uh, that the world cup went to qatar and the one prior went to russia uh, but so that's it so it's it's kind of strange that he's making the point now and among all the things that he could have listed he referred to the size of the country if i'm not wrong i mean it's mm. it's, it's a tiny country etc yeah. i mean if you ask me vivek that is something mm. that i think can definitely be an advantage uh, because you don't spend on travel the world cup for its fans and there's supposed to be some uh, 1.2 million or whatever the number is that's going to come to doha for the tournament normally at world cups the tickets are expensive staying is expensive and you also need to spend a lot on travel uh, you you're traveling across the length and breadth of country to follow your team or even if you are a neutral you're traveling to different cities that's at least a plane ride or a train ride or a bus mm. ride 
oh wait, that's not happening here. And I think that's an advantage because, you know, every Indian that I have spoken to who's traveling for games in Qatar mm-hmm. have said that, uh, you know, this is one massive advantage as opposed to, let's say, uh, going to another World Cup, be it in Germany, uh, which is also a small country, not as small as Qatar, but yeah. small country. But those, those train rides are expensive. Here, if you have that, uh, what is called a higher card, which will act as your visa also, your local metro rides, your bus rides are all free. Mm. So you can actually not spend anything on travel, ideally, while in the time that you are in Doha. And as a fan, I would look at that as an advantage. Now, whether other countries are going to do that, whether this is going to be the model for the World Cup, that is a separate issue. But to talk about the size of the country, I think that doesn't quite really cut it. Because I, for one, am looking forward to being in one city. Because... uh, Traveling during the World Cup while you are on an assignment, checking into hotels, checking out of airports, leaving airports, you often don't remember which city you are in. That does get quite stressful when you do it for 32 days. So I, for one, also am not complaining. That's certainly great for you, Diman, especially when the tournament is almost a month long, as you said. Uh, right. But what about like players not getting any time to train as a group and going to the World Cup in the middle of a club season? Like The Premier League games finished last night. Yes. And yeah, they've literally had no time to practice and gel. Is that going mm. to have a big impact? I don't know because uh, I'll paraphrase what Kafu said the other day when he came to Kolkata. I mean, and uh, here we are talking of a person who's played four World Cups and he's played three successive finals. That's a record even Pele doesn't have. So he knows a thing or two about this competition. And he said that players usually go to a World Cup when they're tired because it's happening at the end of the season. And it usually happens seven days after the Champions League final or used to happen seven days after the Champions League final with the World Cup. Seven to ten days maybe is the word with the World Cup usually set for a June 10 to July 10 kind of competition. So he said players, a lot of players uh, would go to the World Cup tired because it's at the end of the season. This Mm -hmm. time that that is not the case. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are players who may not have been in form when the last season ended. They've had regular pre-seasons. They've had 12 to 14 games getting uh, into the World Cup. Uh, So they might have rediscovered their form. So what's not to like there? And also, football has accepted the fact that, you know, you do not have long camps uh, before a World Cup. That happened in the 50s and the 60s. That even happened before uh, the 86 World Cup, as we've read in Maradona's Mm -hmm. books. But they don't happen now. And that is a reality that uh, we all have to live with. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. Also, I guess it's the same for all teams. So, there's not a distinct advantage that a few teams are getting. Mm-hmm. Like, And yeah, as you mentioned, given that national teams rarely get more than 72 hours with their players these days, I think the players are used to it and it's probably an accepted thing in football, isn't it? Yeah, it is because, you know, football is also kind of accepted the fact that the World Cup is a great event. It's a grand spectacle, etc. But... In terms of pure football, it has been accepted that the kind of sophistication we see in elite club competitions, the Champions League, for instance, in Europe, is not something that we are going to see in a World Cup. We will not see the level of sophistication that a Manchester City brings to uh, its game. Okay, they haven't won the Champions League. It's a, it's a bit of a runner for people who follow that club. I know that. But simply because the kind of sessions that Pep Guardiola would be able to have with his players from August to May is something that is denied any national team coach. And again, that is also true for all teams. So that kind of evens things out. And even in the past, as I've said, the World Mm -hmm. Cup 
would happen seven to ten days after the season ended. So it's not as if you've got a lot of time to prepare. Okay, uh, let's talk a bit about the teams now. Uh, I guess France would be a good point to start, given that they are defending champions. Uh, but in the last four years, they actually have struggled a bit, right? Uh, they lost in the round of 16 to mm. Switzerland in the Euros last year and also haven't done well in the Nations League. Uh, mm. I think it's also important to note that no team since Brazil in 1962 has retained the World Cup. So, uh, why do you think that's been the case over the last 50 years or so that uh, team hasn't been able to back up and uh, do it four years later? It's a difficult one, but you know what? I was in uh, Qatar on a, mm. on an invitation uh, from the uh, Supreme Committee. That it's, it's it's a fantastically named committee whose name I can't remember now. But mm. they sent an invitation, and uh, as a part of a group of journalists from all over the world, I was in Qatar, and and we were talking to Tim Cahill, who now lives mm. in Qatar uh, because he works for their Aspire Academy. He heads it. Uh, so, so when the conversation moved to France, mm. and Tim answered that question with another question. He said, are they hungry enough? Okay. And I think that's a very valid point. I mean, I think that is possibly the most important reason why no country has been able to retain the World Cup since the Brazil of Pele, Garincha and Zagalo. I mean, that's a team that is so outrageously talented that we can't really compare uh, with other teams. And football, we're talking 60 years uh, ago. So football mm. was different then. And and uh, so, you know, other teams have caught up, etc. So, I think the hunger, it is so difficult to recreate that hunger once you're four years older because winning a World Cup takes a lot out of you. Mm. It takes a lot out of you. And and to be able to reproduce that four years down the line uh, possibly is difficult. Now, when you're talking about France, Didier Deschamps has gone... It is going to Doha making all the right noises because, uh, you know, he said things like, we are, we are the defending champions. You can't really do much better than that. Uh, he's also said that, you know, top teams uh, do tend to have uh, dips in form. So that's not much to worry about, etc. And having won the World Cup once, it only fits that like Croatia, he's kept the faith in a number of players. I think there are 11 players in this squad who won the World Cup in 2018. And he would have kept the faith in Pogba and Kante too had they not been injured. But that said, I go back to the point that Tim made uh, to us in Doha. Are they hungry enough? It is something that we'll have to wait and see. Since you brought up Brazil, uh, of course, every World Cup they go in, there are huge expectations on them. Uh, so let me like ask you what you think about them. Uh, unusually, they retained Chiche as, as coach despite a quarter-final exit in Russia four years ago. And they kind of yeah, cruise through the qualifiers. Uh, I'm hopeful that they might win their sixth title in Asia, like they did 20 years back in 2002 in Asia as well. So, do you think they can add to that tally finally? Again, it's one of those questions that will keep getting asked till Brazil yeah. win it. And because mm. they are Brazil, that will keep getting asked again. When will Brazil win it again? So, mm. so mm. with Brazil, I remember uh, in 2006... And uh, we were in the media center. Uh, Brazil had just uh, lost to a Zinedine Zidane masterclass. Uh, if I remember right, the game was in Dortmund. So we were in the media center writing copy and stuff. And uh, I was talking to another Indian journalist who uh, comes from my part of the world, which is West Bengal. And we were talking in Bangla. So a lady walked up to us and uh, she asked us, she was genuinely interested in asking, you know, what language were we talking about, uh, talking in? And she said, are you speaking French? So we said, no, no, no. And then we said, and it turned out that she was uh, from O Globo. And uh, so I asked her, you know, how do you take this defeat? And she said, I'm being very strong. 
and not crying when I'm talking to you. And so, so, and then, but then, then the conversation moved and I said, but this is an incredible kind of pressure on the Brazil team. And she said, well, you know, in Brazil, if you go to a World Cup, you're expected to win it. We will forgive you if you finish second. <laughs> I mean, so every time we go to a World Cup, like you said, we will start talking about will Brazil win it this time? And if they win it this time, trust me, the next time we will not say, okay, they've won it four years ago. Give them a break, guys. I mean, they might exit in the quarterfinals. They do that and they will we'll keep talking about, you know, how can Brazil not win another World Cup? So with them, it is really, really a difficult job. Having said all that, I think that the signs are good. And again, I would refer to what Kafu uh, said on this. Uh, he said that the team is not dependent on Neymar, unlike it was four years ago, his words. Okay. Okay. Uh, and to me, that turns out to be only a good thing. Also, for a change, uh, Brazil are taking a number of strikers to Qatar. You know, you have Richarlison, you have Pedro, you have Gabriel Jesus. Uh, and they could all play ahead of Neymar, mm. which means... That if Vinicius, uh, we all know how how efficient and effective he can be. Uh, if Vinicius, Rafinha or, or Anthony can stretch the play, it could all give Neymar a little more space to do his thing. And I think that Neymar will be, you know, thriving in a situation like that. And uh, if, if Neymar gets going, like it will be with Messi and Argentina, Cristiano Ronaldo and Portugal. If Neymar gets going, Brazil will start going. It'll just be a well-lubricated, well-oiled machine. So, I think what Brazil have lacked in going into World Cups for all their abundant attacking flair often is the fact that they didn't have a striker. I have been struggling to think of an efficient striker for the Brazil national team after Ronaldo. Mm. I mean, and that guy was so much more than just a striker. But when he went, there hasn't really been a striker who can be efficient in front of goal. Yeah, And I think, you know, for all the conversation that we've had about the 82 team of superstars and, you know, Socrates uh, has said it was the day football died when uh, they lost to Italy. I think that the team was rossied. I, I can't believe I just said that. I think yeah. that the team lost also because they had a surfeit of creative midfielders and not very sharp strikers. Okay. And that has not been the case when Brazil have won World Cups. I mean, we can talk about the genius of Pele, of course, and all that. But They've always had players who could convert those chances. And you did not have, in 82, you had a situation where you had Zico, Socrates, Falcao, all artists, all poets. But, you know, you needed somebody to be efficient. And that is where a sudden Rossi steps up and uh, rediscovers his mojo and starts scoring. So, this time, I am hopeful because Brazil have those strikers. They have at least three I can think of. Uh, and, and they have Neymar. And they have Vinicius. And they have Rafinha. And they have Antony. And they have Casemiro who can do things. Who I think is finding form at Manchester United. Uh, they have Fred who often does Fred things. But, hmm. uh, but you know, he's, he's, he's efficient in his own way. And they have a tight defence where Thiago Silva is a 38-year-old going on 26. So, I have a lot of uh, faith in his ability. So, that kind of thing makes me say this aloud and I know I could be spectacularly wrong, that this time the signs are good. Uh, Neman, when we talk about Brazil, I guess the South American rivals, Argentina, can never be far behind. Uh, right. They are also on an incredible 35-match yes. unbeaten run. 
Messi is looking good. He has been among the goals, and they're looking solid at the backs, which is important for them. There is Christian Romero who is doing well at centre back, and then Emiliano right. Martinez in goal. Uh, also up front, uh, Lotaro Martinez has been sharing the goal scoring responsibilities. He's done well at Inter as well. Uh, yep. And then there's there are a bunch of others. There's Rodrigo de Paul. There's Leandro Paredes. They they're all I guess taking a lot of burden off Messi, and allowing him to play closer to goal. Uh, like it seems like Scaloni has built a team that looks formidable, right? Yeah, you know what the operative word here I think is team, <laughs> because at the end of the day this is a team game. If this was not a team game, Haaland would have been in Doha. He also has Odegaard as his teammate uh, in for you know uh, for for the country. Salah would have been in Doha. So, <laughs> Di Stefano, George Best, Ian Rush, these are people you would have been talked about as World Club Cup mm-hmm. legends. Hmm. They haven't because for all their genius, for all their incredible ability, they just did not have the team. And hmm. here, I think Argentina have a team. And you know, on that subject, I just like to say this. You know, I find it uh, very disparaging to the Valdanos, to the Buruchagas, and the Browns, because whenever it is said that you know the side hmm. that won in '86 uh, it was Maradona and ten others, I mean, those guys were very good. Hmm. They did exactly what was required to bring out the genius of Maradona. In the way that other Argentina teams around Messi have not been able to do. And the reason why they look good this time is because, as as we saw in the Copa America, Messi is enjoying playing for Argentina. For him now, playing for Argentina does not seem like a burden that it did look at sometimes, you know, after 2014. Mm-hmm. So, there was simply too much for him to do. And they are, like you pointed out, they are solid at the back. You cannot win a competition if you are yes. not solid at the back. Mm-hmm. So, they are looking uh, at team, yeah. But if there's one thing that could go against the South American Giants, uh, it may be the lack of games against quality European teams. I think right. Chiche, uh, Chiche has spoken about it, but his federation did little to sort that out. Uh, Argentina at least yeah, played the finalissima recently where Messi produced a masterclass in a 3-0 win against Italy. Yeah, yeah. Some game. He didn't score, but he drove that game. So, hmm. I mean, yeah, that's a very valid point. And, you know, Chiche, as you mentioned, Chiche has spoken about this. And there's a reason why uh, teams from Europe have won the last four World Cups and why Brazil and Argentina have regularly fallen to teams from Europe. You simply cannot discount those teams. Uh, so, that is football's most developed continent all the top players play there. You know, it is more conducive to be a top football player in Europe, uh, which is why everyone migrates there. So, you can never ever discount the teams. You can never ever discount a, a new look and a more energetic uh, Germany under Hansi Flick. You can never discount Spain, who went to the semis of the Euro and they have um, Pedri. I mean, what a player. Uh, yeah. I think he played some 74 or 73 games last year for uh, uh, club and country. He was playing the Olympics. He was possibly even playing the under-20, God knows. And he played the Euros and he played almost every minute. So, you know, he, he's he's a class act. And then you have Belgium, whose golden generation, uh, we keep talking about them, yes. But it needs to be understood that they have also been only one goal usually away from playing the semi-final or the final of a major tournament. And you have Holland mm. and England. So, you cannot, you know, discount teams from Europe. Absolutely. And that could be a problem uh, for, for teams from South America. Yes. Uh, coming to England, Diman, uh, in Russia, they finished fourth, which was their best result since the 1990 World Cup in Italy. Mm. And uh, they finished runners-up in the Euros last year as well. Uh, there are obviously quite a lot of young players who uh, 
the English media especially is hopeful about. But haven't they slipped in the last maybe one year? And does that not give you the feeling of same old, same old? It does. It does. It also does because purely based on numbers, you cannot ignore the fact that uh, very few teams have gone into a World Cup on a lean run of form and then turned it around. If I remember right, uh, Holland did it in 74, but they had Cruyff. And they had Rinas Michels and they had, uh, you know, a whole lot of extremely gifted players uh, who could turn things around. Um, Argentina did it in 1986 and uh, we all know who they had. So, mm. you know, it's that current form that makes me a little iffy about France, about England, about Portugal. They really have uh, a wealth of attacking options and they have Cristiano Ronaldo. They don't seem to have got it together as a team. But here's the thing. I mean, this is a seven-game tournament for each country that really wants to go deep in it. And it is not always won by the best team. It is won by the team that gets everything right in those seven games and is incredibly, incredibly lucky that they do not miss key players due to injuries and suspensions. So, all that I said just now about poor form, going into competitions, etc. could be turned on its head and I could be spectacularly wrong in my evaluation. Uh, trust me, Diman, we'll have enough episodes during the World Cup to hold you to account and point it out. So. <laughs> I'm hoping you don't, but yeah, okay. I- I'll take that challenge. <laughs> that was it for this episode. If you want to reach out to us, you can find us on our Twitter handles at Vivek9301 and at DemanHT. If you're a true football fan, you cannot not subscribe to Kickoff our weekly newsletter on the world game which hits inboxes every Friday. For more updates on this podcast, follow HT Smartcast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn. And to listen to more such podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast.